Hey everybody! Just a little heads up before we start the show that this episode was recorded in a different room than we normally record in and there was some high traffic times. So we're sorry about that. You might just want to listen to this one without headphones or be forewarned that there's going to be some background noise. Anyways, enjoy the show! Once upon a time, in a far-off kingdom, there lay a small village at the edge of the woods. I wish... And in this village, more than anything, lived a young maiden, more than life, more than jewels, a carefree young lad, I wish, more than life. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Broads. You didn't want to keep that in? I'm Nikki. I'm Steph. (laughs) And today we have our first guest on the show. He is a musician. A musical aficionado. What else is he? Um, (laughs) Yeah, what else? (laughs) He's a big part of the reason why I even care if I like musicals or not. Let's be honest, he is the reason for this. No, you're half, he's half. I don't believe that for a second. I like to think I'm inspirational. Uh, It's Jameson. Hello, hello. So happy to be on. And what are we watching today, Steph? We're going to watch... Into the Woods. Thanks to whose recommendation? Oh, of course mine. This is an absolute must. Like, this is one of my favorite musicals, and this is absolutely one of my favorite casts of the musical that we're going to be watching, even though that's kind of controversial amongst people who've seen it. But I am very partial towards a few of the people playing the roles in this version. Is this really one of your favorite musicals? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it, it was, um, I first saw it when I was in high school, and I was actually dating somebody who played Jack's mother in the production, and I had to watch every production of the musical, so I saw it 28 times wow. in a summer. <laughs> okay. And so I was either going to love it or hate it for the rest of my life. All right, all right. Yeah. It really says something if you can see something that many times and still claim to love it. I know, right? And so you love the movie as much as the like stage production? Are we talking about the same thing here? I think it might have been the fact that I saw it 28 times the first time that made the movie so refreshing when I saw it. So that may have so been funny. the reason why. So my only experience with Into the Woods is I saw it live at the Hollywood Bowl. Um... And I knew nothing about it going into it. I don't really know much about Stephen Sondheim, to be honest. Uh, but I really actually enjoyed it. I thought it was funny and entertaining. And there are some songs that I have continued to like listen to and enjoy. So I'm kind of excited to watch the movie version. I've never seen it before. What do you think Nikki will think of the movie version? This is the question, right? Um, I don't know. I feel like your reaction is going to be pretty clear one way or the other. Because the the music sounds very similar all the way throughout. The way people kind of interact with one another, it's pretty much the same pacing and the same kind of musical ideas all the way throughout. So if you're not on board for the idea that you're going to, you know, like the first few minutes, if you're not on board there, it's going to be some rough sailing from there on out. I can't wait. <laughs> I actually can't wait because I've kind of missed hating musicals, so I'm a little primed right now. She likes one musical, and all of a sudden... <laughs> <laughs> the last two were both like, oh, I, I had to admit I liked them. They were good. I'm a little primed right now, but I'm going to try to withhold my prejudgment, even though, like... Okay, things that I know about this musical. One, it has to do with fairy tales, maybe? Correct. That's correct. Okay. Two, Meryl Streep is in it. Correct. Also correct. <laughs> Along with Anna Kendrick, James Corden, and Emily, oh, Emily Blunt. Blunt. And Emily Blunt. Correct. Facts that we have established in our previous episode. <laughs> Reestablishing. That is all I know. Okay, I think that's, like, a a good place to be for you. I worry that we have set it up to fail just because 
we've said so many times that we don't think that you're really going to like it. I mean, it's like a new enough thing and it had enough attention in the universe. Like, I'm aware of what it is more or less. Like, I've seen, you know, more than like Bye Bye Birdie or My Fair Lady. Like, I already before this would have told you, I don't think I'm going to like it. Like, before we ever did this podcast, <laughs> I would have probably said, not my jam. <laughs> so, eh. This is where we are. I don't know. We're going to have to just watch it and see what happens. Yeah, we can't go back. I will try to withhold my judgment, but I'm secretly, like, a little excited to potentially tear into this. I think that there are going to be moments that you'll enjoy, but I think that you're going to get antsy. For some reason, I just feel like you're going to get sick of it when you're watching it. Well, now I kind of want to try to like this for Jameson, like... You know, the other two were both... For Jameson, you want to try to like... That's so sweet. But I really want you to judge it honestly because... And I I don't know about... See, this version is a little truncated. The actual version has like a lot more dialogue than this version is going to have. And they take out a lot of the unnecessary quote-unquote stuff in order to make it flow more seamlessly. And I think they do it real justice there. So I don't know. Maybe I'm over... I'm overthinking about the things that you might not like about this. I don't know. What is our sing-to-talk ratio? It's like a 65-35 with the singing and the talking, but the talking tends to have like kind of a rhythmic gait to it sometimes, so... I'll be interested to see what you think of that. I feel like one of that ratio is something that we should establish for each viewing. Sing we to talk should. ratio. We totally should. <laughs> and that is then a metric that informs your judgment of the musical. But it's not I prepping. mean, not not that it like it it would just be an interesting metric to track. Once you've established your rating, then we go in and we dissect what's the sing to talk ratio and did it play a factor in you liking or disliking a musical? Wow, I'm feeling like really scientific about this all of a sudden. I'm here for it. You should make a spreadsheet. I should make a spreadsheet. For the record, I wanted to like My Fair Lady and Bye Bye Birdie for you too. It just so happened that I actually liked them. Okay, thank you. I'm just being like extra bitter because Jameson is here tonight. (laughs) I mean, I'm already in the basic third wheel seat in terms of where we are positioned right now. So don't feel too bad. I disagree. I feel like our physical positioning in space right now, I am the third wheel. You two are together on the sofa and I'm on the floor. Yeah, but you don't have to do the (laughs) lead. You don't, you don't have to like organize yourself in the diagonal in order to get within mic range. All right, we'll figure it out better tomorrow. We're going to go watch Into the Woods. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Into the woods to see the king. To sell the cow. To make the potion. To see, to sell, to get, to bring, to make, to live, to go to the festival. Into the woods. To get, to bring, to make, to live, to go to the festival. Into the woods. into the woods we watched into the woods we made it through the woods <laughs> i feel like i'm still in the woods yeah i feel like i'm always in the woods will i ever get out of the woods musicals sure didn't tell me if anything it just told me i was always going to be in the woods too so here we are this is life now yeah just trees and trees are just wood i have no fear <laughs> so the musical Yeah, the musical. So we watched the 2014 musical fantasy film adaptation of the 1986 Broadway musical by Stephen Sondheim and James Lapin? 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 I want to say Lapin. Lapin. We'll go with Lapin. So, hopefully everyone watched it along with us. If not, buckle up. We got some good info. (laughs) So Into the Woods is all about fairy tales and intertwining different characters from like the Grimm's classic fairy tales and all of the unforeseen consequences of their actions. So we have Little Red Riding Hood, we have Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel, Cinderella, who else? 
Anyone else? Um, I think that's it. That's it. The baker and his wife are like from Rapunzel. Right. Cool. So the movie stars Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, James Corden, Anna Kendrick, who is a favorite of Jameson's, Chris Pine, Tracy Ullman, which was unexpected casting, uh, Christine Baranski, brief cameo by Johnny Depp. I didn't need it. <laughs> Same. Movie needed it, though. And then a few other people, including Daniel Huddlestone, who is Gavrash from Les Mis, who you will see later, Nikki, when we do Les Mis. Oh, boy. Yay. I know you're not excited. Daniel Huddlestone. But we'll work up to it. What did you think about the movie, Steph, as compared to your experience of the stage production? Mm, I would say, overall, I did enjoy the movie. I would watch it again. I was surprised at how much I didn't remember from seeing it on stage, but then going through and like reading the synopsis of the Broadway versus the film version. Uh... I think I like the stage production better. And Jameson, were you watching it for you? Anything new come up for you? Any different feelings? I mean, no. It was nice to revisit it, and I just like trying my best to follow along with the songs, because singing along with this musical is just impossible, unless you've done it, I think. Um, But yeah, I think after seeing it and comparing the stage version to it in my head, I probably prefer the stage version as well. You've seen the stage version, like, what did you say, 27 times? Yeah, high 20s. How many times have you seen the movie? This is, I think it's my third time. Wow. Yeah. You're just like a seasoned veteran of Into the Woods. This is the thing I have seen the most in my life, yes. Wow. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. So, Nikki, what did you think? Sounds like a nightmare. Um, so I'll okay. do- <laughs> that's what you thought. No, no, no. I mean, Hot take. Watching it twenty-eight times definitely sounds like a nightmare. Um, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. So I'm gonna call that like, eh? Jameson. How does that reaction make you feel? A little dead inside, but you know, I was expecting it. <laughs> Can't say I wasn't ready to, you know, feel the creeping cold hand of death kind of tap my heart a little bit right there. But that's fine. You're entitled to your own reaction. I said I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. Oh, the niceties. I, like, didn't hate it. I'll even say I didn't hate it. And that's fair. And I kind of feel like maybe we goofed a little bit by not finding, like, a stage production. Maybe that was the If when the world is back on, we can find... A stage production of Into the Woods. I will go see it with you. Right. I think part two of this journey is let's see all of these on stage and then get the opinion. Filmer stage. For yeah. me, like, I know you like watching uh, stage productions that are, like, recorded, but watching Hamilton for me on Disney Plus when it came out, I was just kind of like, ah. Watching, like, taped live shows just doesn't do it for me. I'd rather just be at the live show if I'm going to do that or watch the movie. Hamilton did do it for me, but we'll save that for a later time. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I think it it requires being brought up in that and having that be normalized for you because, you know, I sang in a choir when I was little and they had, you know, the, the videos that, you know, I still have like DVDs of myself at eight in a church choir singing these hilariously like little angel voice solos. And so I'm used to watching like recorded singing. I do it a lot. So I think maybe I'm a little biased in that regard, but I could definitely understand how watching like a recorded stage production is, I don't know, you can feel a little disconnected from it. Yeah, it takes away some of the magic. And, like, the awe. Like, I love watching people live. I like marveling at their voices. And, like, I do love being in a theater for those reasons. But just, like, a recorded version of it, not quite there. Oh, also note, this is definitely the singiest movie we've watched to date. Like, the ratio. Higher sing-to-talk ratio. Definitely. And there were songs that were not really songs, but rather just, like melodic soliloquies and interesting to note the correlation higher sing to talk ratio lower rating from nikki we got a did not hate 
couldn't get it up to I liked it. Will we ever get to I loved it? For this? Stay tuned. No, not for this <laughs> specific. I loved Bye Bye Birdie. Oh. oh. That I makes said, me aw. happy. I said I loved it. Okay, yes. That was like literally the whole last episode. <laughs> I won't spend the whole episode talking about how I didn't hate it. Because there are things that I liked and I can definitely talk about those. But, you know, the hot take. Didn't totally hate it. <laughs> So do you want to do like some fun facts and then we'll get into a recap and talking about songs? All right. What fun facts you got? Okay. So these are fun facts um, mostly related to like the movie making process and casting and stuff. I love that. I love that too. Very excited. So one interesting thing that I found out in this research process, which is really just me reading Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia is that other studios before Disney tried to make this into a movie, like mostly throughout all of the 90s, like three different studios tried to develop this and none of them went through. But there was a table read in the early 90s involving Robin Williams, Goldie Hawn, Cher, Danny DeVito, Steve Martin, and Roseanne. I want it. I also want that. I I wish I I had grown up with that movie can you guess who read which who, role okay robin williams was definitely the baker uh-huh yeah Cher was the witch obviously oh my god that would have been so perfect spectacular she would have been so great what else did role. you say goldie Dan- hahn goldie hahn cinderella baker's wife baker's mm. wife and danny devito it's ironic the Guess. giant. The giant. <laughs> <laughs> those two, those, that like 30 seconds of giant dialogue. Mm-hmm, and also mm-hmm. being on, oh wow, that would have been great too. So we have Steve Martin and Roseanne left. Who do you think? Steve Martin's the prince? He is the wolf. Oh. I mean, he could have made a nice prince. He's funny. The wolf slash. I mean, Steve Martin is a prince to me, but he me would too. have done well in that wolf role. Better than Johnny Depp, I think. Ugh. Johnny that was Depp like was like my least favorite part, for sure. And then Roseanne is Jack's mom, which makes sense. That yeah, I could out. see that. I could see that. So I thought that was super fun, and I wish that they would have made that movie. Oh, what a missed opportunity. What a missed oh, opportunity. But, you know, instead we got Meryl Streep, and I think she did a good job. She, she was great. entertaining for me. Um, apparently, when Meryl Streep turned 40, she got, like, three witch role offers. <laughs> and she was like, no, <laughs> I, I will not take on the role of a witch just because I've surpassed an age threshold. But she broke that rule for Into the Woods. Because the chance of doing another Sondheim production was too good to pass up. Apparently she did a Sondheim show when she was like a student at Yale. So she loves Sondheim, I guess. Thought that was fun. Makes me so happy. Would you have guessed that Emily Blunt was pregnant during this? No. Not at all, right? Not at all. And boy was I surprised to read that wikipedia referenced her overweight appearance what i took personal offense to that what she looked normal (laughs) yes she did until she became pregnant at the end of the first act instantly like inflate inflate belly yeah but i don't think she was that pregnant in real life so (laughs) she was different stages of pregnant throughout the movie none of them as pregnant as she actually was i actually forgot about that scene where she just like magically becomes pregnant oh come on that's funny (laughs) how could you forget i don't know i just you know i've just been replaying the agony scene over and over in my head since it happened oh those waterfalls (laughs) and the rest of the movie is a blur (laughs) it's such a good song i don't think i could tell you more than two songs yeah well speaking of the agony song so many scenes that occur in the woods Um, including that agony song with the waterfalls, they were filmed in the ancient pine forest at Windsor Great Park, which is like a 5,000-acre park by Windsor Castle that used to be the hunting grounds for Windsor Castle. 
Uh, so it did look beautiful, but mm. I also kind of wondered, like, how much of this is CGI? Oh, I'm sure they enhanced, like, everything. But, like, those waterfalls were real. are in that park. Like, the trees, a lot of the trees are real ancient pine trees. That's awesome. And I want to go to there now. It looks beautiful. Um, what else? Oh, this is gross. So, Rapunzel's 30-foot braid. That's real hair. Ew, why? just stitched a bunch of hair together. Yeah, it is real hair woven together and then braided into that actress's actual hair. And James Corden and Emily Blunt were flinging that thing around, and that was real hair the whole time. Uh Uh-huh. That's nasty. That is nasty. Mm. I don't like that. No, not, not my favorite thing. Um, and then my last fun fact for right now is that all of the cast had to record their parts in front of Sondheim, which just seems very scary to me. Oh, that's so fitting. He's so, I mean, he's just so particular about how he writes all his music and, like, arguably kind of elitist. And it makes so much sense that he would just be like, no, come sing this for me. Right to my face. Yeah. Show me you did your homework. Sing it to my face. Oh my god, that would be so nerve-wracking. Pass. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be a no for me. Same. It's gonna be a no from me, Steve. (laughs) So should we just dig into this musical? Let's start with, I guess, the first song. I wish. I wish. Literally an I wish song. Yeah, literally an I wish song. So I think the start of all fairy tales basically like lays out the crux of the situation. You know, couple wants to have a baby. Someone is downtrodden. Someone is poor and lonely. <laughs> yeah, no, literally set it. up all of the, you know, threads that would play out throughout the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, we gotta have a reason for our people to leave the village and go into the woods. That is very true. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the somewhat transitional nature of the music and the way it was shot? Because it, it zooms between the stories almost like moment to moment. You're in the barn with Jack and his mother, and then immediately you're with Cinderella right away. There's no like transition. It's just happening in the same bar of music a lot of the time. I mean, I thought that that worked because, you know, being able to utilize cuts and, like, movie techniques versus a stage production, like, you could do that, cut quickly between them. And, I don't know, it kept it moving quickly. The pace was fast from the get-go. It felt like, okay, we're moving. This is happening. Yeah. Let's go. I always really liked how, like, the characters are singing together across, like, different spaces in the world, and they don't know they're singing together. I like those little moments, and this movie is full of them. Yeah. Um, And it's nice on stage, too. Like, to your point about the movie being able to cut quickly to different parts of the kingdom, if you will, this is a song that activates different parts of the stage when you see it. So it is still kind of like this... Like, oh, look there, and look there, and look there. And, like, like, you're getting that introduction to all the characters, but also, like, getting the lay of the land of what the set is. Yeah. And it's got that into the woods refrain, which is... And it sets up the little... That's nice. um, not a mnemonic, because they just sing it out, but the little song that the baker and the wife have to remember all the things that they need to do for the witch. The witch next door. Oh, hey, it's the witch next door. Yeah, we get the whole witch song after all that. But yeah, you're right. They have their whole, they have the list of the things that they need. We get introduced to the Into the Woods theme, Cinderella's whole thing. Like, there are so many musical themes coming at you in this first song. Which in the score is like a 45-page long, nine-part kind of thing that happens. And I'm pretty sure in the movie they probably only did like 26 of the 45 pages I think you're such a great guest to have on because you have actual like music knowledge, whereas I am just a fangirl and can only regurgitate what I read on the internet. I mean, I'm also regurgitating what I read on the internet, but I guess I know a couple music words, so thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get the mission given by the witch to the baker and his wife, which is really like the one thread of the story that drives the plot forward. It's not what I wish, it's what you wish. Nothing cooking in that belly now, is there? And there will never be. 
unless you do exactly as I say. In three days' time, a blue moon will appear. Only then can the curse be undone. What curse? The one I placed on this house. What are you talking about? In the so then I think we have like a pretty unremarkable song. Um, the Cinderella situation. What you wish. Are you certain what you wish is what you want? If you know what you want, then make a wish. Ask the um, But basically, like, this is the... We're getting into the woods now. This is, like, Cinderella's little piece of her woods journey. Then we hop over to the Little Red Riding Hood story, which we get that Johnny Depp cameo, and uh, it's super uncomfortable. I really hated this. Yeah. Jameson kept saying that we're supposed to, and, like, I get that, but also, I really hated it. Right. So, yeah. we all know the little Red Riding Hood, you know, she encounters the wolf on her way to grandmother's house. This takes that and makes it, like, super creepy with some sexual undertones. Some? Lots. And then the fact that Johnny Depp was playing this, like, knowing what I know now, made it just extra not good. Because he is kind of a wolf. IRL. So what you're saying is it made sense. And the casting was good. <laughs> so That's what I'm, I'm hearing. All I'm hearing in these negatives is that they did a good job. You're feeling exactly how you're supposed to feel from that scene. You're supposed to be happy when the wolf dies because the wolf is the worst. Like, in the fairy tale, it's just like, a wolf is a dangerous animal. That's why we're scared of it. But in this one, like, you get to see, like, this is a terrible creature. He is so bad. Wolf as metaphor for the predators that we encounter in real life. Yeah. Oh, I got that. Yeah. Oh, we I all got it. got it. Oh, we got it. It's just uncomfy to sit in that I for an entire song. Hello, little girl. Tender and fresh. Not one lump. Hello, little girl. This one's especially lush. Considering how uncomfortable the character of the wolf makes us, I was super disappointed when the baker does come into the story taking over that role of like the hunter and saves little red and her grandmother from the wolf's belly by like cutting open the stomach of the wolf. We don't get to see that really. Totally missed opportunity. It didn't it, it didn't help the narrative like sense of it either because if you didn't know that it wasn't necessarily explicitly told like this is how everything went down you know right we get a little hint of it from the perspective of the grandmother and little red like from inside the belly but in the song afterwards yeah in the song afterwards but this is just one of many examples of this film adaptation shying away from how gruesome the Grimm's fairy tales are, but also how dark the original musical from the Broadway production is. This is definitely like a lightened up version, and I think that it's worse off for that fact. A hundred percent. Like, and Jameson kept saying, oh, it's Disney, oh, it's Disney. I get that. But like, Disney also does Marvel, and like, Disney does other stuff. So it's not like Disney couldn't do something here. There's a way to do something without it being you know, Deadpool. Right. Like, just, you know, give me that moment of satisfaction yeah. of stabbing that wolf. Because he's icky. Or give me, like, a reaction of Johnny Depp. Like, give me some kind of interplay. Because once, the, like, James Corden has that knife shot and it goes in, it's over. That's you literally, end. like, pan up and away. Face the facts, Disney. So from a storytelling perspective, and also, I hate to do this, but I'm about to do it. exonerate Disney. In the ah, score geez. itself, that whole scene where he cuts out Little Red, that's a page. And it's all stage directions. Even Sondheim didn't care what was going on there. Because I to him, I, I, I know, and probably a lot of people do. But it's not, it's kind of not about that. It's about Little Red. Because she's the one that ends up 
you know, being at the end of this, all the character development, the wolf doesn't matter. He's the wolf. He gets to, he gets to go in a big way. And the baker, the most interesting thing about him is not that he's a wolf killer. Like, that's kind of, I feel, why, why that ended up that way is because it's just something that needs to happen for the story. I guess I just wanted a little more vengeance on behalf of Little Red. I was thinking the same thing. Like, maybe as, like, in my woman brain, I'm like, yeah, get it, get it, get him, get him, you know? She wears Satisfaction. the wolf's, She wears the wolf's skin around for half of the show. Yeah, and I love that, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to see that wolf go down in a horrible, bloody mess. Okay. <laughs> fair is fair. I'm moving on. <laughs> Toads, dude. Um, so we can go to Jack. Jack lives in a hovel, essentially a barn. You know, it's like they didn't even have a cottage, so they just like lived in a barn. His bed is hay. Yeah, well that's quite common. Yeah. But <laughs> Like, what do we know He's about... He's in the barn. He's in the barn. <laughs> but what do we know about Jack? That he has a cow. That's, like, all we know about him. And then he goes up the beanstalk. He's that's like, all we have. He's, not too bright. No, that's okay. what I was going to say. You forgot He's that not. He's not the... The sharpest tool in the show. No, he's not too bright. His, His mother mom. is a little abusive. Yells a lot. <laughs> so Yells funny. a lot. And his best friend is Milky White, the cow that doesn't produce any milk anymore. Mm-hmm. So Jack's plot line is that he has to go to market to sell the cow because they're starving and the cow is worthless to them beyond the friendship that the cow unwittingly provides to Jack. So Jack has to go into the woods. Into the woods. See? I did it. (laughs) So proud of you. And he's just so naive and he's, he's so just sad and earnest at the very beginning I really liked that character in on stage productions. Um, that subplot was a little bit more important, I feel, in those productions because it agree. got a little more time. And like Jack's mother was also a more fleshed out character in that. There was a lot more dialogue between them or singing between them. So I feel like that was like a way in which the movie probably didn't do them justice. I would say like a general takeaway of having seen both the stage production and the movie production is on stage you do feel more connected to each character each character feels a little bit more developed than than the film version especially considering the second half of the movie like in hindsight I really do think they should have fleshed out the Jack character and the mom more because that's like mostly the second half Honestly, I feel like, yes, the film is a truncated version, but if anything really got super truncated, got the shaft, it's that act two. You know, totally underdeveloped, and that's why I feel like it feels weird once we cross that threshold. So in terms of our main mission and our ingredients list, we're looking for a cape as red as blood, which we get from Little Red Riding Hood looking for a cow as white as milk which we're getting from jack and the beanstalk and then we're looking for hair the color of corn corn silk corn and so that seems to be like the justification oh i was just going to talk about rapunzel now sorry that was my (laughs) lead-in that seems to be the justification for rapunzel and like you said nikki like poor rapunzel does not get a lot of action in this movie. That's because she's kind of the worst. She's made to be the worst as a character, but it's she's the worst in the way that she is just a very repetitive character. She's supposed to be very vain, very self-centered, and I feel like when they were making the movie, that was just one of those things they were looking at. They were like, this is just a lot of her singing about herself and then she's gone anyway. So how about we take out all that stuff and then just have this nice little truncated version where she exists, but she doesn't spend like 20 minutes singing about her hair. Did she even sing at she's all? She's barely a character. She really feels more like the victim of being trapped. Like she didn't even have a character profile except that the witch trapped her there. Like that's right. really it. Right. In the musical itself, she has a whole song where she sings about her hair and she's like so upset. It's like the whole song is just like taking care of my hair, combing my hair. And then the witch comes and starts singing along with her. And you can see like the witch is in on this sort of delusion that Rapunzel's so 
cool. And that's, you know, one of those connections that probably would have helped you feel a little bit more attached to when the witch was singing with Rapunzel later. Because, like, they're diluted. And it would have made the storyline, like, I didn't really quite hear or catch that the the witch needed all of these things for the potion or... Did she say what the potion was for in the original song? No, she doesn't tell them what the potion's for. She just says, if you want the curse undone, you need to get me the stuff for the potion. Right. So it would have been better, too, if they established that vanity with Rapunzel better, because it didn't really make sense when Meryl Streep was all like, you know, you, you're embarrassed by me, I'm ugly, you're embarrassed by me, like that part of that storyline, you know, and why right. she so badly wanted to be pretty again. Or right, young. the witch's own vanity. It didn't... When it happened later, it didn't pack as big of a punch because it was, like, not developed. It was mm-hmm. very underdeveloped, and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that character really was overlooked. But she does get her also underdeveloped love interest in a prince, and the other character who gets a prince in this is Cinderella, so she's going to provide the ingredient of a golden shoe. She was whatever is gold. Wasn't it a glass slipper? Or is that something that was changed later on? I thought it was a glass slipper. I mean, in the Disney Cinderella animated movie, it is a glass slipper. Whether it's meant to be glass or gold from the the original original fairy tale, that's something that we can look into. All right, whatever. The slippers were golden. So it was Disney who made that change. Guess so. Oh. Okay, golden slipper it is. This is according to germanstories.edu backslash grim backslash cinder. (laughs) Was it a golden shoe made of leaves? Are are we at the song where she's getting the dress and stuff? And the shoe made? No, I think we're at the part where she's like leaving the ball a whole bunch of times. Because she gets the shoe made in the beginning of the song, right? Okay. In the beginning of the, during the Into the Woods part. So now we're with her as she's running away from the ball? Right. I guess this would be Cinderella Runs. (laughs) She got a really bad case of the runs. (laughs) The, The names of the song and the score are so good. Like, yeah, Cinderella Runs, Cow Death. That's another good one. (laughs) So Cinderella, Cinderella runs into the woods, running away from the ball. And who does she run into? The baker's wife. The baker's wife. Emily Blunt as the baker's wife. I really loved this scene, actually. This was one of my favorite parts. Honestly, give me more Emily Blunt. Give me more Emily Blunt interacting with other characters. This particular interaction I liked, the between Anna Kendrick and Emily Blunt especially, like they really didn't get a lot of time together in this movie, which I didn't know later, but I really loved this scene with them together. They were magnetic, they were funny, they were talking like, felt very like, oh, what's he like? Almost like a tell me more, tell me more kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit of girl talk there, talking about that very nice prince. That's the song. Um, and it's interesting for as caught off guard as you were later in the movie to to find out what happens between the prince cinderella and the baker's wife i feel like emily blunt actually in retrospect does a good job of kind of laying the foundation for that plot move I mean, the relationship, the kind of weird immediate kinship that those two characters discover just like in the moment, like she's running away. She's like totally in like fight or flight mode. And then the baker's wife just appears out of nowhere and covers for her. And then they just have this conversation where the baker's wife is like trying to put herself in Cinderella's golden slippers. And Cinderella is trying very much to get out of them. And they kind of pass each other, not only in the woods, but in terms of where they're trying to go metaphorically so now that we've talked about rapunzel and cinderella and they each get their prince those two princes have one of the best songs in the musical one of my favorites agony agony beyond power of speech when the one thing you want 
is the only thing out of your reach. I mean, this was just a great little section of the movie. I was really captivated during this kind of little section of the movie because I really loved the Anna Kendrick and Emily Blunt part. And then Chris Pine. Wow. Just hilarious. And when this song comes on, he blew me away. I didn't even know he could sing. Yeah, he has a great voice. But I love this song because it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, that too, of course. Ridiculous, melodramatic, hilarious, which the movie needs more of. It's so effective at establishing how charming and not charming the princes are at the same time. And it makes them just very enjoyable to watch for all the right and wrong reasons. It's just a really good song. So we wrap up act one of our movie with Cinderella and the prince getting together, the baker and his wife getting all of the ingredients that they need. Rapunzel makes it out of the tower, gets banished to a swamp. A snake swamp. A snake swamp by the witch. But she just like crosses the snake swamp like it's no problem. No, the snakes don't care. They're just there for decoration. Totally. Yeah. Because we don't care about Rapunzel's storyline, so... doesn't have to make sense. (laughs) Then she cries on the dude's eyes and he can see. (laughs) And so the baker and the wife having gathered all those ingredients, the witch gets to make her potion, which she takes and turns her young and beautiful again. Can I ask one quick question? Uh I did not understand how they could use the corn for the hair. I didn't understand that like. We don't have, I mean, like, they were supposed to get gold hair, right? That was mm-hmm. as, as yellow as corn. Yes. Right. And so they got Rapunzel's hair, but Rapunzel's hair didn't work because the witch had already touched it. Mm-hmm. But then, like, in the last minute, it was like, oh, use the corn that you have in your pocket. Because an Cause ear hair. of corn has hair on it. They never said human hair. It just said hair. All right, fine. And it's also one of those things that's supposed to be playing into the whole fairy tale genre. How, like, if you mess up a little bit, we'll just, you know, come up with something that's already there. And of course it works, because it's a fairy tale. And Meryl Streep gets to be young again is the what happens after the potion, right? With blue hair. Mm-hmm. With Great blue look hair. for her. Yeah. Great look. Oh, fantastic. And then Emily Blunt immediately... Becomes nine months pregnant. And James Corden said, wow, that happened fast. That was a great moment. (laughs) I figure, I mean, like, that's, a lot of these lines are improvised, and most of James Corden's improvised lines are just so good. That's the reason why they're in there, because he's just, he's great in the role. I'm really happy that he was in this movie. It also felt like it was a dream come true for him, you know? Like, I felt like I was watching him live his dream, and that's always fun. Yeah, no, he was having a blast. And then, like, there is no intermission, which I guess we could talk about, because in hindsight, I wish there was an intermission, because it would have helped better define the story for me, I think. Um, But we kind of just, what happens after that? We go straight into uh, months later. Straight into months later, giants causing trouble. That's kind of the next step. And yeah, I agree. I think an intermission is a really natural break in the story for you to reset a little bit because there's going to be a tonal shift. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily come across that way, at least not to a person that doesn't know anything and hasn't seen, like, the stage production before. Like, I didn't... I was confused. I was honestly just confused. I was like, wait, all of this is done now? Like, what? I don't understand. I really could have used, like, a like a cut to black or fade to black and then, like, restart stuff up in that intermission way to let me know that, like, okay, we're in for a little bit of a different story now with the same people that we've established in Act 1 and now, like, something else is going to happen in Act 2. I could have just used, like, a cut to a black screen, even for, like, just three seconds. And then, like, maybe a little, like time travel forward or anything like that or maybe even just a cut to a black screen and then immediately back in but i could have used like any separation whatsoever right i mean you really don't know how much time has passed between act one and act two the only kind of visual cue you have is there's a baby there now so presumably 
over nine months. But she was like nine months pregnant at the end of Act One. Yeah, but that's not a newborn infant. Yeah, I know. You're right. Yeah, and so then we get to miss out on probably one of the coolest parts in the music, um, which I guess I'll talk about now because like it doesn't exist in the movie. So in the first part of Act Two, we do get to see in the actual musical that time has passed. And we get to hear all the characters sing about, like, to the theme of the original. Like, it starts out with the same exact kind of bouncy theme and, you know, Cinderella going, I wish. And she starts telling us about, you know, how she's married now. And everyone comes out and they're like, oh, we're so happy. And as they continue saying they're so happy and they're happy that everyone else is happy, you slowly start to realize they're saying they're happy a lot for people that are supposedly so happy. What's going on here? Methinks she doth protest too much. This feels like a song that should have stayed in. Because that would have made like a lot more narrative, cohesive sense to me. And I think it would have set up everything in Act 2 a little bit better. For me personally. No, for everyone. Like I said before, Act 2 is the most gloss-overed part in this transition from Broadway musical to film adaptation. Yeah, no, there are so many good parts. Like, everyone in the song is asking for different things. Cinderella says more than life, more than jewels in the first one. Now she says, like, more than footmen, more than knights. Jack is missing his kingdom in the sky. The baker is now complaining that they don't have enough space in their house for the baby. Like, it's different. And you don't get to have that moment, which makes the appearance of the plot in act two just meaningful at all like we understand that there's danger that the characters have to do something about that but we don't get to see them become disillusioned with their worlds then get thrown back into the danger but not necessarily like it's not an enjoyable romp as it was before for them and so we don't get to feel that sort of weird ambiguous feeling that sondheim builds up in the score and disney decided not to give us Mm -hmm. if act one sees our mission complete and everyone getting their supposedly happy endings the thing that propels us into act two and moves the storyline forward is that jack while he was stealing things from the giant killed the giant and this has angered the giant's wife so she now comes down into the kingdom and starts destroying everything and everyone that gets in her path and she's on a uh, rampage looking for jack in that one scene where they're with the giant like everyone starts to turn on each other immediately and it's so visceral and you get to see like the underbelly of everyone's characters so quickly and that just wasn't here in the movie right they still do the song your fault or whatever it's called where they're trying to blame each other and all that in the which kind of chastises them for not being able to face up to how it's kind of everyone's fault and you have to take responsibility for your actions and stuff. Yeah, that song um, came right after Emily Blunt dies and James Corden finds out that she's dead. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> like, this feels... I don't know, I guess I was waiting for like a bigger reaction from James Corden that his wife is dead. And instead, it kind of moved right into this song. And I guess I just was, I don't know. Well, people deal with shock in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yelling at Jack and like singing the song of the blame game. But I don't know. I was waiting for like that moment where you see James Corden being sad about his wife dying. And like, I was, I was waiting for some resolution on that front, you know? And it never really felt like I had that moment. And that their storyline was the most developed, so it really felt like that should have been more dead. than what it was. But if this is my fault, I was given those beans, you persuaded me to trade away my cow for beans, and without those beans, there'd have been no stock to get up to the giants in the first place. Wait a minute, magic beans for a cow so old that you had to tell a lie to sell it, which you told were they worthless beans, were they oversold? Oh, and tell us who persuaded you to steal that gold. Right. Well, let's talk about the death of the baker's wife for a second. So the baker and the baker's wife split up they're trying to find jack before the giant finds him and as the baker's wife is wandering through the woods the prince happens upon her and there is 
a seduction song and they end up kissing for a little bit, which again, another example of how changes between the stage production and the movie are made and do not help the execution of the movie. Because in the stage production, the original musical, this is not the first time you're grappling with the infidelity of not just this prince, but the other prince as well. They have a reprise of the song Agony because they have both met and fallen in love with, respectively, Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. Which is a nice touch because it kind of brings in more fairy tale references, but also helps to support this this aspect of the storyline that they were raised to be charming, not necessarily to be sincere and loyal and all of that stuff. That would have really helped. Because 100%. I was also very thrown by this scene. I was like, what the F? Like, all of the sudden, you know, we didn't get anything else from Chris Pine at this point. He just went from being with Cinderella to now being in the scene and there's no indication that he's unhappy you know what I mean it almost felt like is Emily Blunt dreaming are they in a scene of the forest that like makes them have hallucinations like I didn't take it at face value because it wasn't really set up very well for me to consider it even a possibility right that plot point all of that work is put onto Emily Blunt's character and the performance that she gives throughout the movie of you know, when she first runs into Cinderella, that's an example of her dreaming of a different life and dreaming of, you know, a charming prince and being mesmerized by the handsomeness of this prince every time she has seen him previously in the woods. It's kind of hinted at in the interactions between the baker and the baker's wife regarding the baby and how it seems that up until this point, Emily Blunt has been doing a lot of the caretaking of that child. And James Corden seems to be kind of out of his element, doesn't really know yet how to be an active father. So it's like all of those little hints that you have to pick up on to even make that kiss in the woods make sense. And that's not fair. That's a whole lot of work to put on Emily Blunt's character development of the baker's wife. Emily Blunt had to die for her infidelity. That's what I learned. Right. That's what happened. Even though, <laughs> at the end, when she's gone through her whole like existential song, she says, I now realize that I made a mistake, and I care so much more about what it is I have now. She like grows as a person, and then is eliminated immediately. <laughs> and that's supposed to be part of what like Sondheim's trying to build here, which is that this is chaos. We don't know what's going to happen. No one gets what they deserve. This it, is just the world. Exactly. People die unexpectedly. It is, it is chaos, but yet it everything that happens follows, like the witch says, it's all happening again. You know, like James Corden's dad, his mother died, the dad's wife died, and he had to then become a father, and like... You know, it is chaos, yet everything's kind of happening. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like, it's almost predetermined. It's a variation on a theme to go super musical. It's, you know, it's got echoes of what you've seen before, but you don't know exactly what it's going to be like. And you certainly don't know how it's going to end up at the end. True. So how does it end up in the end? Uh, they kind of make a new family because they're in the woods and James Corden's wife is dead. Little Red Riding Hood's grandma and mom are presumed dead. Uh, Jack's mom is dead. And the witch... Oh, we have to talk about the witch. Mm-hmm. So after they sing about how it's all everyone else's fault, they all band together and determine it's all the witch's fault. And she retaliates against that and is like, no, guys, look at your life. <laughs> it's all of our faults. We're all in this together. And she sings, what is her song? The Last Midnight? The Last or? Midnight. I'm what no one believes. I'm the witch. You're all liars and thieves like his father. Like his son will be too. Oh, why bother? You'll just do what you do. That was a good song, actually. 
It is a good song. Meryl does a good job. Jameson, you made a comment while we were watching that the sound mixing of the movie does an injustice to Meryl Streep singing that song. There's so much wind at the end, and you can hear branches breaking and trees falling over, and you can't hear her say anything in, like, the last four lines that the witch has, which are important lines, because it explains, one, she's like, curse all you guys. Here's my final curse. I'm leaving you alone with no guidance from someone who actually knows how to make decisions. Number two, she, like, says, oh, I lost the beans again. Like, mom, like, you curse me with ugliness for losing three beans. Now I've lost, like, a million. Like, curse me again. And that's why she dies. But you would never know that because you're just listening to a hurricane. Well, does she die? Because when I was reading like the synopsis of the Broadway musical to refresh my memory, it says that she gets rid of the beans so that she gets her magic back. Because remember when she made herself beautiful, she kind of lost the magic and that was like her trade-off. So by getting rid of the beans, breaking that beauty spell... She gets her magic back and vanishes and just, like, pieces out and leaves everyone to clean up their own mess. Oh. I thought she turned into goop. Yeah, I thought that the point was that she was trying to do that, but she went a little too overboard and got turned into goop instead. The last song is You Are Not Alone, right? Yeah. One of my favorites from the musical. I feel like it's No One Is Alone and Agony are my top two. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one is alone. Um, the version that's in the movie is shorter than the one that is in the onstage show. And it takes out a whole lot of interaction between the characters because the whole point is that, you know, they're off in their pairs doing their own thing. And Little Red is just hanging out with Cinderella and Jack is hanging out with the baker and these new relationships get formed when they're trying to comfort each other in the moment of, you know, like the calm before battle. It's this weird sort of eye of the storm thing that's supposed to exist, but uh, because of the timing of the movie and how everything is so rushed and we also don't get as much character development that like, it's just a sweet moment. While we're singing our side, our side, maybe we forgot, they are not alone, no one is alone. And then, uh, Jamo, what's your favorite songs? Um, well, it's gotta be Agony. That's just the best song in the musical, because it is such good comedic relief, and the actual song itself is just, it's so good, it's juicy, it's it's princey it's overloaded with charm and also a whole bunch of like weird greasy undertones like it's just so viscerally pleasing as a song there's just nothing else the other stuff is real fun to sing and i'll jump in like gotta go into the woods because we do all of the stuff but but boy does that get stuck in your head (laughs) Yeah. yeah no but agony is a song it is well thought out it is well executed it is so good. It's what I wanted the whole movie to be. It was like that. I just really wanted to follow them after that song. I was like, I want this to be from their perspectives. Let's go. I'm ready for it. I know that's not the play, but... But I think that the musical stage version, before it gets kind of cut up for the film, the musical version has much more of that kind of tone. That humorous, like undertone to all of the songs would you agree jameson yeah in the movie everyone still kind of has that fairy tale gloss of just kind of being like very innocent or like genuinely trying to like protect themselves or the people they love in the movie everyone is running around being like the worst version of themselves like we get to see everybody act on their vices right away no one like minces words anymore once the giant's there because everyone's afraid they're gonna die so they all just like go into end of the world mode and that, uh, that would have been really nice in the movie. I would have enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> well, what were your favorite songs? Yeah. Oh, it was Agony, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I can name any other songs or sing any other songs besides maybe the intro with the Into the Woods, you know? You said it was catchy. It's catchy. It's super catchy. It's catchy. Um, and the Agony song, 
And The Last Midnight, I actually, like, you know, I can kind of, it's earworming me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I don't remember any of them. So what is your rating out of five philandering princes? Oh, Ooh. I was going to say witches' noses, but I like that. <laughs> Okay, so let's first off say I promise if and when the opportunity arises to see an Into the Woods stage production, we will do it. Because honestly, I really do like the concept. As far as like higher concept, I really do like. I like all of that, what he's intending for everything. The execution in the movie... I really didn't like the songs, so it's hard for me to give it that high of a rating on a musical front. The movie was better than I thought it would be, so I'm going to go with like a two out of five philandering princes. Yeah, I expect that. Okay. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that too. I just think it's really interesting that a two out of five is better than I thought it was going to be, which means one was the only option to be given. <laughs> it's like a one or a that zero. Was it. It's mean, one or like nothing, baby. Two I'm satisfied with. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I liked My Fair Lady, and I'm pretty sure I gave it a three out of five. I think I liked My Fair Lady more, so I don't know. Two and a half philandering? No, don't don't, yeah, don't change. No, no, no. Just we'll for just us. A, we'll just apply a curve. That's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me that you would pick two out of five. Yeah, I stand by that. Stand by that. Yeah, no, I just have to say what I'm gonna say about that. I really just want to wait until there's a musical that like I really love the songs in a way that like wows me. I think that was Bye Bye Birdie, honestly, because I really did like the music in Bye Bye Birdie in a way that I hadn't for anything else so far, and the music in this was very like. I'm watching a musical. This is a musical song. Yeah. A musical is happening. And sometimes I just thought to myself, like, I think this could have been better without all the songs if you just let all the actors act with each other and have that all play out without the songs. I don't know. I kind of would have wanted to see that. Well, I think there is something to the fact that in the movie you actually don't get as much intertwining of the storylines as you would get on the stage production. So... It loses a bit of that magic quality and a bit of that uh, chemistry that the characters are supposed to have with each other. It's palpable. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wonder what musical you're going to give a five out of five to. Predictions? Oh. I, I can't think of one, honestly. It's a complicated question because you have to take in account the sing-to-talk ratio but also the quotient of razzle-dazzle. So, you know, will it be a Chicago? Maybe. Will it be, will it be a Greece? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I'm, you know, this is, this is scientific now. Okay, yeah, maybe Greece. Maybe those will have a shot. I don't think I was, yeah, no, I think those two are probably the most likely. I can't think of anything else that's really gonna like fit your niche very well. Well, we have a lot more to discover. There's a lot of them I haven't seen yet. I have seen Chicago and Greece, so we got to come back to those a little bit later. But I think you're in the right direction. I think definitely Greece more than Chicago because, God, I love the songs from Greece. And, like, if there's a musical whose songs I really like, that's, like, already putting it up at a four, you know, or something like that. It just bumps it up already. Higher starting point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder as well, which... Brings us to the next question. What musical next? Well, so my next question is, are you ready for Barbara Streisand? Is it time? Like butter. Is it time for Bab? Is that a yes? Hell yeah. Let's oh, go, Barbara. snap. So maybe for next time, we do Funny Girl. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. Sounds like a good plan to me. I'm very excited for you to see that. I love Barbara. I mean, come on. How can you not? And it's not Yentl, so I'm here for it. Wait, are you opposed to Yentl? No, I just don't want to do Yentl right now. I might be a little opposed to Yentl. Why are you opposed to Yentl? Oh, I'm loving this tension. It's like a new arc of the show. (laughs) Yeah, what is your deal with that? 
don't know. I just want to see something else at this point. <laughs> oh, she Maybe we're really not far enough not away down. from Fiddler. I don't know. I think I, I just like want to see Barbara. Some... I've also seen Yentl. She's got some so deep-seated by feelings the law about that. of Broadway broads, we got to pick something that I haven't seen first. You guys have laws. I'm just saying that that's all you had to say. You could have just said, I've seen Yentl before. Let's watch a different Barbara. But instead, you you gave that face. You let me know that you didn't like Yentl. Yeah, With my face. Nikki Regardless. Has very strong feelings. Regardless if Yentl is good or not, I don't care. It's a movie with Barbara Streisand and Mandy Patinkin. And those are two people I like very much. <laughs> so we're going to do Funny Girl next time. Yeah, come and join us. Come along for the ride. <laughs> so this has been Broadway Broads. I'm Nikki. I'm Steph. And I'm Jameson. And we'll see you next time. Although it's different for each. Always ten steps behind. Always ten feet below. And she's just out of reach. Agony that can cut like a knife. I must have her to